swing and a drive. Deep to left center field. Going, going. Goodbye, baseball. This is Extra Innings. Fastball swing and a miss. Strike three. That's going to retire the side. Seattle sports goes inside the Mariners with more stories, insights, and analysis than you'll find anywhere. Drilled up the middle. Oh, what a catch by J.P. Crawford. Step in the batter's box in the top of the tent right now. Joining me now on Extra Innings, he covers the Rangers for the Athletic. It's Levi Weaver. You can follow him on Twitter at 32EFIS, which I, I think is an incredible Twitter handle. Levi, what what is the story behind that Twitter handle? Um, so I, I I pitched in a well, – I, I pitched one inning uh, ever in my life. It was in a little city league here in, in Texas. And uh, I got myself into trouble and at the very end just decided to act really angry. And uh, like I was really about to throw my fastest 77 mile an hour fastball. <laughs> and uh, I just, I looped it in there at about 30 miles an hour and got a ground out the second. So I, I you know, that was my, my, my claim to pitching fame. And anytime I find myself kind of stressed out, I'm like, well, maybe you should do something that's a little less serious right now. And, and maybe that'll work. I like it. I like it. Definitely uh, throws everybody off going with the EFAS there. A very underutilized pitch in today's game. We see it from uh, from position players who like to pitch during games, but hardly ever from a pitcher. I think Zach Granke's yeah, done it I, a couple of times. Yeah, I was about to bring up Granke. He's about the only uh, – you Darvish's curveball is almost uh, an EFAS, but not quite. <laughs> <laughs> Levi, I want to get started with this matchup between the Rangers and Mariners. And during the 2022 season, it has gone heavily in the Mariners' favor, winning 11 of the 13 games so far these two teams have played against each other. But a lot of those games have been close and, and decided in the late innings. Why do you think the Mariners have had the Rangers numbered this year the way they have? Man, I have spent quite a bit of time trying to figure out the answer to that question. And uh, I. I know this doesn't make for great radio, but I got nothing. I, I have no idea. Uh, the Rangers have been pretty historically bad in one-run games this year, and I, a lot of that has come against the Mariners. I My first year covering the team was 2016, and the Rangers actually had a negative run differential and had the best record in the American League because they had such a great record in one-run games. They just happened to, you know, they'd get five hits in a game, and those five would all come in one inning. Um, and this year's version of the Rangers is kind of the opposite. Um, they've been fine. I mean, their sort of run differential suggests that they should be around 500, and instead they're you know they're six and 24 in one-run games, and that's kind of the difference between where they probably should be and and where they are. Um, but as to why that happens so frequently against Seattle, man, I I wonder maybe if if it's just the fact that they're in the same division and have played each other a lot. Um, yeah, I got I got nothing. That's, that's my entire list of, like, I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I, just watching it from the Mariners' perspective this season, it, it has been one of the more unexplainable things where these two teams have found themselves sort of deadlocked for most of the game or, or, or one team has a lead late and, and then the Mariners – uh, storm back and, and win it in the final couple innings. I wonder, you mentioned the one-run record for the Rangers this year being as bad as it is. The Mariners kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum, leading the league in one-run wins right now. I want to know, Chris Woodward, this is his fourth year on the job as, as Rangers manager. The best they've finished in the division is third during that time. Uh, 
is is his seat getting warm? Is it hot right now? How do you see his future in the Rangers dugout? Yeah, I think this has really been the first year where you can even start to judge him for for performance because you know they hired him as they were diving right into a rebuild. Um, so it's, I mean, not the teams don't do this. They they do sometimes hire a guy just to sort of be the placeholder manager. But I, I don't think it would be a fair uh, judgment to go. Well, look, they lost. You know, they've had the. What, what the second and third round or second and third picks in the draft the last two years. That's how bad they've been. Um, this year they did. They signed Marcus Simeon. They signed Corey Seager. They brought in John Gray. Um, I don't think that his job is in danger before the end of the season, but given the sort of record in one run games, a lot of times that is the sort of thing that does come back on the manager and, I think it's going to depend a lot on the team's performance over the last month and a half as to whether he comes back uh, next year. I do, I do think this. I, you know, the, the Rangers front office has said on a number of occasions, 2023 is the year that we plan to really start to contend. If they think that he is not the guy who is going to uh, lead the team into contention in 2023, then I, I think we see that move made at the end of the season. Um, but I don't, I don't think it'll happen before the end of the year. If it does happen, uh, I. I believe they're probably going to just take this, these last six to eight weeks and kind of assess uh, if they think that he's the guy for the job moving forward. You mentioned the Rangers' plans to hopefully contend in 2023. Obviously, the division is very competitive at the top with the Astros and the Mariners being what they are this season. You never know. You never know what you're going to get with the Angels, and obviously the A's. Uh, they have their moments every couple of years. They've obviously torn it down this season, but. It, do you think that they are on track for 2023 or do you think that it's still maybe a couple of years away before the Rangers are, are really up there competing with the best in the AL West? I think they have a shot at being a playoff team in 2023. Now, whether they have a shot at the division, that probably depends a lot on what the Mariners and Astros do in the off season. Um, but I think it, it seems to me based on the, you know, John Daniels and Chris Young's comments after the trade deadline that that they plan to have a pretty active offseason. I don't think they plan to just allow these prospects to develop and sort of naturally flow into a, a, a contender. If, if that were the case, I would say we're probably looking at 24 or 25. Um, I think they plan to kind of get a little aggressive this offseason like they did last season and with an eye towards starting pitching. Um, so... Not sure if that means uh, – yeah, I looked at the list of, of starting pitchers available on the free agent market. It's not super impressive, so it might be a trade where they you know, flip a few of these top-end prospects for – I don't know, man. I'd love to see them go for Sandy Alcantara. That would be great. That would really put them back in the conversation with the Mariners and, and the Astros. But, uh, but I do think they plan to take steps forward and, and perhaps even drastic steps forward. You, yeah, you mentioned starting pitching and, and just the names that could be available in free agency or via trade this offseason. One name that I think a lot of people were surprised didn't get moved at the deadline is Martin Perez, who has been incredible for the Rangers this season, uh, running an ERA below three. He was an all-star, uh, really having a breakout season at age 31. Do you think he factors into their plans next season? I know he is an unrestricted free agent after this season, so uh, there could be some other bidders for him, but do you think that is why they chose not to move on from him at, at the deadline? 
Yeah, and in fact, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there is perhaps an extension offer made at some point. Uh, it's They seem to hint at that as they were giving their explanation why he and, and also Matt Moore uh, were not traded at, at the deadline. Uh, I was a little more surprised that Moore wasn't traded, to be quite honest, than being a reliever relief pitcher but um but yeah I, I think both sides are interested in, a, in an extension and you know if they get that done before he hits the market that will ideally be a little cheaper for them it's not just Perez's performance either I, I think probably a lot of the the uh, what they've been impressed by is that his maturity has really come a long way when he was here before it wasn't he was a problem you know he was a good guy but there would be one thing that would happen in the game and it would be, you know, a missed strike call or some error would happen in the field and, and he would kind of blow up a little bit. Um, I don't mean lose his temper. I mean, just sort of like come off the rails a little bit and all of a sudden you look up and he's given up four or five runs in an inning. Uh, he's somehow righted the ship there. He seems to be a lot more mentally tough this year. And I know that that is a, a loaded phrase when you talk about guys and, you know, it's, what do I know about his mental state? Uh, what I know is that what you can see on the field, something bad happens and all of a sudden he's fine and he gets out of the inning. And um, I, I think that is when people talk about Perez being like, well, you know, he's never going to repeat this year. This is a fluke deal. Um, you can't expect that he's ever going to be this guy. Look at his track record. It's a little different than what we've seen from his track record because you're looking at his ability to, to, hold it together and right the ship when there's a tough inning. So I do think there is interest in, in bringing him back next year. Yes. Levi Weaver of the athletic joining me here on extra innings and Levi looking at the Rangers farm system in years past, it's, it's not been up to, uh, you know, it hasn't been ranked among the best teams in, in baseball, but now I look at the major league baseball top 100 prospect list. There's a handful of names uh, wearing Rangers ball caps and that doesn't include Kumar rocker yet. Um, looking at, at the state of the Rangers farm system, how many of those guys do you think are going to be relied upon uh, next season as they try to make this push from from sort of a, a, a mid-level team or a team that's on the rebound to a team that's that's going to go for it? Yeah, good question. Um, I think we're going to see Josh Young in the big leagues before the season's over. He's in AAA right now. Um Kind of a big surprise. He was only expected to be able to DH this year because he had surgery on his uh, labrum and his left shoulder. It's not his throwing shoulder, fortunately, but um, he just started uh, back at AAA and he's playing third base. So I think we'll see him in the big leagues even this year. And then beyond that, the big question is like, is Jack Leiter as good as they thought? Uh, he's, he's struggled a bit with command in AA this year. I would think he's probably at least another year away. Cole Wynn, I think everybody expected to kind of uh, take that next step this year and maybe hit the big leagues this year. That He's kind of struggled as well. Owen White is another one who uh, he hasn't necessarily struggled, but is he close enough to be here next year? Uh, maybe. So I think a lot of those guys, a lot of those big names that you're seeing, you know, Evan Carter is not going to be here next year. Dustin Harris might be. Um, but a lot of the guys that you're going to see next year, you've already started to see this year, whether that's Ezekiel Duran, Josh Smith, uh, Leody Tavares seems to have finally put it together at the big league level. Cole Reagans is starting today against the Astros. He was their uh, 2016 first-round pick and had two Tommy John surgeries, finally made his debut this year. Bubba Thompson uh, just got called up last, last week. So 
I think a lot of the guys that you're going to see, you're already starting to see. I think the question then becomes how many of that next tier of prospects are going to be included in trades and how many are going to be around um, in the years to come. He is Levi Weaver. He covers the Rangers for The Athletic. Make sure you are following him on Twitter at 32EFIS, a great Twitter handle. Levi, really appreciate you joining me and uh, look forward to reading your work this weekend as the Mariners take on the Rangers. All right, thanks so much. You know Jeff Passon was staying up late watching the Mariners take on the Yankees this week, especially that classic of a game two where both teams were shut out for at least 12 innings, the Mariners winning in the 13th. What did he make of that game? And also, what does he make of this American League wildcard race? We take a listen to what Jeff Passon had to say this week with Mike Salk. That's coming your way next on Extra Innings on Seattle Sports Station and the Mariners Radio Network. You're listening to Extra Innings inside the Mariners on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports Station. One, two, pitch here to Kiner Falefa. The pitch. Going on a hit. Oh, backhanded by Matt Brash. He's got the runner hung up between second and third. It's the catcher, Tavino. He's me. Throw to second. They're going to get him. Here's Frazier. The tag. Got him. Double play. Are you kidding? That was phenomenal. Even after the craziness of yesterday's game, I still find myself looking back to the craziness of Tuesday night's game between the Mariners and Yankees. Just a a classic series. Root Sports, I know, is replaying it today. Uh, But you look at just the absurdity of Game 2, where both teams were held scoreless for a well-beyond regulation into the 13th inning before the Mariners scored the first and only run of the game on a Luis Torrens walk-off single. Jeff Passan, who covers baseball, who, who does a tremendous job for ESPN, he's one of the most plugged-in insiders you're going to find. How did he think, or what did he think of that game on Tuesday night? Because when you see as much baseball as Jeff Passan does, I, I would imagine it's hard for games to truly stand out to somebody like him. Well, I, I think Tuesday's definitely grabbed his attention. I think I found out what was going on, like, fifth or sixth inning. And I was like, ooh, this could be something. I didn't think it was going to be that. Mm -hmm. Because it wasn't just like two extremely good starting pitchers dueling. It, It turned into a battle of wills. And listen, I I was worried that it was going to end in the 10th because someone was going to get a cheapy hit with the runner on second. And uh, I'm not fully converted by that game. But when that game can put that kind of pressure on relief pitchers and provide that kind of drama, uh, like the the ghost runner kind of had me for a little bit last night because – it made it so much tougher for the relief pitchers to keep those zeros on the board. Yeah, you know what? I agree with that because I I don't like the runner on second base in general. I'd never want – I don't see why anybody gets to the 10th inning of a baseball game and then says, man, this thing better end right now. I'm bored. Like that just – that doesn't make sense to me. But last night was the first time – I think the answer to that is school night. Right. That's fair. But I I just – I think last night felt more like it it added to the drama because of the incredible defense – and pitching and 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 moments that the runner on second provided. Let me ask you a question because you didn't ask me one there. <laughs> um, 
A hostile guest. Great. When, when, when Matt Brash caught the ball behind his back, did you audibly gasp? Did you elicit a naughty word? Like, what was your reaction? It to started that? with holy. I'll say that. I mean, I was <laughs> that was completely shocking. And honestly, you know what my favorite part of that play was? How quickly and casually he got the he ball turned. to third. Yeah, yeah. What a play! Uh, I mean, he no, he got the ball. The did, did he go to third? No, he went to second. Didn't he? Didn't go run with it. Uh, no, he ended up throwing the third on that play. That's right. Dude, it was just That's right. He the, threw the third on that play, and then he ran over toward third yes. uh, because the ball was going to be coming back to him potentially if Suarez didn't uh, didn't tag him. And then <laughs> you want to talk about a casual throw? Uh, the throw to get Kiner Falefa. What a toot blonde that was! Oh Lord. Yep. Yeah, it was a it was a really interesting game, and the Mariners I thought showed, and I don't know whether this was one of your takeaways, but it was one of mine. I, I thought they showed how well managed and disciplined they are. It's something. Look, they're they're number one in the league for the second year in a row in winning one run games. How much of that has to do with the way they're managed and coached? I think that has something to do with it. I also think that has to do with bullpen mm-hmm. a lot of the time. Sure. And I think Scott Service does a really good job of running that bullpen. And look, when when you can, I'm not going to say like, I'm not going to give the club too much credit here for creating relievers because that takes away from what the pitchers do to work with what they're given, right? But I, and there was a story up on Fangraphs a couple of weeks ago uh, about Matt Festa, and uh, I'm trying to think who the second reliever was, um, Penn Murphy. Um, and it was about how what happened with Paul Seawold, the, the Mariners identified with Festa and Murphy as well. And you have this bullpen, you know, filled with guys who – just frankly aren't very big names and are going out there and carving the Yankees. And in this, listen, this is a Yankees lineup that didn't have Rizzo, that didn't have Stanton, that isn't entirely at full strength. But you know what? The Mariners are missing their best player right now. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they're at 100% either. And to uh, I, I think the most exciting part of the game um, as somebody who's rooting for neither team, but who just wants to see good matchups was the Munoz inning. My goodness. <laughs> yeah. I mean, between the Munoz stuff, and the, the stuff, the stuff has always been there, Mike. Yeah. But early in the year, especially Andres Munoz was giving up, big home runs, you know, you were like, why is this guy who throws 102 and has a slider that just tilts like a, you know, like, like, like something that tilts. Yes. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. I was trying. It's too early. Uh, <laughs> you know, do you know the story of Munoz, by the way, that he changed this slider? I think it's an interesting part of it is that he was 
throwing the slider with more depth and slower to try to create more separation with his with his fastball and they changed it now it's a harder slider um that doesn't move as much obviously just because it's thrown harder but that seems to be it's a tighter slider and that seems to be working for him yeah but it moves man like let's not discount how much that thing moves aaron judge isn't swinging over that multiple times if that thing's not moving the way it does. And he's got exquisite control of it. He's had that because the reason that the Padres signed him to a long-term contract when he was, you know, like less than a year into his big league career is in part because he put up wild strikeout numbers and didn't walk anyone. Mm. And, and the fact that he was putting those pitches where he was in a game as tight as that in moments as pressurized as that, that's the sort of game, Mike, that gives you hope for I'm not even going to say the month out loud because I don't want to, <laughs> you know, I don't want this to be May all over again. Passing you, you know. Cursing everybody. Matters. Yeah. Well, I, I agree with you, though. It, it was that kind of a night, and it started with Luis Castillo. What did you make oh, of yeah. Castillo? I mean, it's very simple. He started against a $324 million pitcher who's regarded as one of the best in all of Major League Baseball and went pitch for pitch with him. And didn't just go pitch for pitch with him, but I think you can argue that Luis Castillo might have been better than Garrett Cole was. And not many pitchers in the world have the stuff or the moxie or the competitiveness to go out there and do that. This is very simply what he was brought to Seattle to do. Talking to Jeff Passan, uh, as we do every week, in the meantime, um, while the Mariners did get the win, it, it just seems like there's a lot of competition in the teams behind them that were supposed to be, look, they sold at the deadline, they weren't going anywhere. All of a sudden, Cleveland, Baltimore, etc. How come they're not going away? Well, I I think Cleveland, because when you look at what the Guardians are, it's it's actually kind of similar to the Mariners. They're not the same team, but um, they're not a team that's laden with stars, but they're very well managed. They The Guardians know how to develop pitching as well as any organization outside of the Dodgers and the Rays, and they may actually be better at it than them. And they put the ball in play. You know, you don't have a, a ton of big strikeout guys in that lineup. Uh, so to see them tied for first place right now, it's it's weird. I mean, you know, Cleveland started in Kansas City this year, and I was at opening day. I was talking with someone inside the clubhouse, and he was like, well, we are not going to hit this year, but we can pitch. And it turns out they're they're hitting a little bit this year. So uh, they're, they're a scrappy team. I don't know if they're going to be there in the end, but I appreciate what they're doing. Minnesota's been disappointing. They had this big lead. They've blown it. Um, the, the White Sox are as helter-skelter as you can possibly get. I don't really trust them long term. And beyond that, they lost Tim Anderson maybe for the season. So, uh, you know, when they have Tim Anderson in their lineup, they are generally 
pretty good. Uh, when he's not historically, uh, they've been pretty mediocre. Uh, Tampa's always going to be there. That, that's just how they are. But I want to talk about the Orioles for a little bit because when they traded Trey Mancini and Jorge Lopez before the trade deadline, they got they didn't get written off by people, but I think it was more how do you trade two players of that caliber when you're you're maybe potentially in this thing. The Orioles are fully in this thing because number one, their bullpen is the best bullpen in the American League this season. Like it, that was with Jorge Lopez. That may be without Jorge Lopez. It's they have nasty stuff top to bottom. Uh, they catch the ball well too. And listen, when you have three wild card spots, Mike, you might be able to backdoor your way into a playoff spot just based on your bullpen and your defense alone. And that's kind of crazy, but that's what the Orioles have done, and the formula is working so far. And Listen, some of these teams are going to fade. I don't think the Mariners are going to be one of them, but I like that they're getting pushed. I like that there's competition. I like that the, the American League right now is actually interesting. Coming up on the other side, we hear from Ryan Roland Smith, who was kind enough to join Bump and Stacy earlier this afternoon. What did he make of the Mariners' dramatic series against the Yankees, and how do they set up against this Rangers team that they have had the number of over the course of this season? That's coming your way. I'm Curtis Rogers. This is Extra Innings on Seattle Sports Station and the Mariners Radio Network. You are listening to Extra Innings inside the Mariners on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports Station. Castillo. The one-two pitch to Donaldson, and it is Taylor straight three, called Gotti. Sinker on the outside corner, no protests from Donaldson, who takes a slow walk back to the third base dugout. Two down, top seven, seventh strikeout for Luis Castillo. He is on point tonight. He's been on point ever since the Mariners acquired him back on the trade deadline, or a couple days prior to the trade deadline, I should say. But Castillo, in his two starts with the Mariners, has only given up three earned runs in, what is it, over 14 innings pitched with the Mariners, and all of those innings have come against this vaunted Yankees lineup. And It was worth asking Ryan Roland-Smith today on Bump and Stacey, what was it like watching that pitching duel between Garrett Cole and and Luis Castillo and and the bullpens back on Tuesday night because us fans who have never set foot on a pitcher's mound or have never been in that kind of situation, uh, I mean, obviously we are all blown away by what we saw that night still, just 48 hours after the fact. But what did Ryan Roland Smith make of it? Somebody who has been in the fire, somebody who has been on the mound, but you know, not not to discount Ryan, but somebody who's never been you know consistently in the high nineties. What was it like from his point of view watching what the Mariners and Yankees combined to do on that crazy, crazy Tuesday night of this last week? Well, he joined Bump and Stacey earlier today to share. Yeah, it went from being you know kind of frustrated because you got Luis Castillo just like I can't even out of this world stuff, and just some of the swings against him. I was frustrated because I was like, man, put up a couple runs, let's go, like come on, something. <laughs> because you just don't want to waste that start. So all of a sudden, it goes to extra innings. You have ghost runners involved, and and then you just have this, everyone stepping up, so to speak. So I, I think it was up there. But I've got to say, I, you, I can't overlook yesterday either. Mm. The fact that they got down, the fact that it's the, the rubber match of the, of the, of the, home, of the, um, the series at home, 
they get down, and all of a sudden you're like, okay, look, you're playing the Yankees. You get down late like this, uh, it's going to be tough. And not just you know, not just by a run, but a, but a couple of runs. Aaron Judge hit that that home run. You're like, oh, now in the coffin, feeling, and it was you know, it, it was it was deflating. And then all of a sudden, Carlos Santana goes, you know, goes home run. See you later. And it's just man, it, like I, I think, look, Sunday was good. I think Sunday was even better. To be honest with you guys, Ryan, when I watch receivers perform and put up just stupid numbers i get giddy like I, i'm excited and you know, no one really in my household understands what i'm looking at um what are you like when you see pitchers on both ends you talk about gary cole you talk about castillo yeah. even robbie ray had his moments what is it like as a pitcher when you see pitchers performing at such a high level well i'll, I'll be honest with you sometimes you know if it's a guy who's you know throwing 88 to 92 and they're battling their way through making big pitches I can relate. So I'm looking at that going, oh, yeah. Wow, like, how awesome was that? I love watching that. But then you watch Luis Castillo. There is a hint of jealousy, too. I'm like, man, could you imagine how fun? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. How fun baseball would be if you had, you know, that repertoire, that that arsenal, that just disgusting change-up, and then that 98 at the top of the strike zone from that arm slot. You look at that, and you're just like, man, that's just unfair. Obviously, Garrett Collin on the other side of the two, and, you know, I love watching him pitch because of, you know, just different things he does so at an elite level mechanically. And then yesterday, I want to go back to last Friday. I got a chance to call the game when Robbie Ray was pitching. He's coming off three, and he's, you know, look, he's, he's, he's someone obviously we've watched him all year, sort of ups and downs, and he had that six game stretch. And then, then he struggled for three games and then comes out against the Angels. Now, I know it's not the Houston Astros, but regardless, they're big league hitters. He comes out against the Angels and, just dominates best stuff I've seen all year long. And then in the post game, this is what I love in the post game interview. He says, look, I struggled for a couple games. So I was like, I'm just going to throw as hard as I can. I'm just going to attack. And, and here it is. Hit it mentality as opposed to, and we've seen this before with guys with electric stuff, where they try and search for answers. So, and look, I love these two seam fastball and all the rest of it. But when he is in that mindset, like, you know what? I'm struggling. I'm sick of messing around here. Here it is. Hit it. That mentality, it's awesome. And then he doubles it up against the Yankees, who are a way tougher lineup uh, than, obviously, the the, uh, the Angels. To watch that yesterday, and then, obviously, Luis Castillo the night before, man, it, it's it's fun to watch. Don't get me wrong. It's fun to watch. Mm-hmm. But uh, I've got to say, man, there there is that hint of uh, envy floating around <laughs> in, in the back of my head, for sure. Uh, what do you make of the move of flex into the bullpen? You know, it's it's uh, it's one of these things that you, look you look at and and it's funny when you listen to, to you know some of the front office talk about it and they say oh you know hey it's what's best for the team and I'm sure Flex will all have that narrative too, but I guarantee you that conversation in the inside the the, the coaches uh, inside excuse me Scott Services office and with Pete Woodworth and the conversations after that. It wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been that cordial. Put it that way. Chris Flexen is a competitive dude. Now I'm not. I, I get it. You want to be in a situation here if you're the Seattle Mariners where you have that abundance of talent and performance that guys like Chris Flexen do get pushed to the bullpen. You can't just cruise and all of a sudden expect to be in a rotation. That's what you want. And the other thing too, that will make Chris Flexen whether it's 2023 back in the rotation or, or whatever. It's just going to help him out. That's something he feeds off. So I think that you look at him and, and another you know, candidate was, was Marco Gonzalez, I'm sure. When you look at the, the, the move to the bullpen, I think Chris Flexen's more suited for the bullpen. I think um, when, when you look at Marco's stuff, I think Marco's stuff-wise, he's more suited as a starting pitcher as opposed to you know, someone coming in for a couple innings and, and to get swing and miss and, and everything else. 
Um, it, it was a tough move. I feel for Chris Flexen. I really do. I get it. It's the right thing, you know, for the team because they want, they definitely want George Kirby being a factor, even though he has limitations. I get that. Logan Gilbert is Logan Gilbert. He, he's he's doing really well, even though he's, he's had a couple bumps in the roads more of lately. Uh, obviously, Luis Castillo, Robbie Ray. So I get all that. Um, but I guarantee you that would have been a tough conversation um, for Chris Flexen to have uh, yesterday. Ryan, we've seen Haggerty just ball out as of late, batting 323, 423 in the month of August. He's played right field, center field, second base. Whatever you need from Haggerty, he has done it yet. He's still batting in the eighth spot. Would you move him up even though guys are getting healthy, or would you keep him in, in that spot and, and, and depend on him um, you know, later? Yeah, it's, it's a it's a good question. I haven't even thought of that because you, you, same same argument with Chris Flexen. Look, we have watched this team for you know since I, I want to say since 2018 and even before that, where guys do what um, Sam Haggerty have done lately, and they it's kind of like this, you know, not by default, but this sort of oh hey you're doing really well let's let's put you up in the in the five hole or the two hole or whatever. But again, and I've said this I said this in spring training. If you get to a situation where, say, a J.P. Crawford, who is one of your mainstays, one of your everyday players, I'm putting Sam Haggerty in this conversation in one second. If you get to a point where J.P. Crawford is pushed to that 7-8-9 part of the lineup, and for Sam Haggerty, that he's doing what he's doing, but he can't even sniff anywhere higher, we are in a good spot. We have enough depth. We are a team that can compete in October. That's a good sign. So when I look at that and say, should we move him up? You know, he could he could earn him earn his way into a six or or a two potentially if someone has to take a day off if ties out or you know two guys in a row are out at the same time whether it's a Hanniger and a tie have to have a day off at the same time he could sneak up there mm-hmm. but when you're talking about from the way you want this lineup to look you know he, he, you want him hitting well over 300 and doing what he's doing right now and having that speed element but still be at the bottom of the lineup that's a great sign for this offense. I, this is a very related question, but earlier in the show, Ryan, we were talking about things we've learned about the Mariners this season, and it devolved, devolved, evolved into a conversation about what makes them a playoff team and what would make them a World Series team. So I'll throw you the same question. What makes the Mariners a playoff team right now, and what would make them a World Series team? Well, uh, I'm, I'm going to get the boring answer here: pitching and ma- matchups. Now, when I say that, look, you put it this way: everyone, everyone, you know, cried, including myself, and pouted because they didn't get a bat at the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. Now, I'll, I'll put you here's a situation: it was really competitive at the trade deadline. You saw on Saturday night the New York Yankees get blanked. Now, I know they're facing Luis Castillo, and then yesterday they were blanked for you know what's right there. When you look at that. That's going to that's going to structure the bullpen just right, so they can get to that six, seven, eight, nine in the bullpen and be in a good spot. You don't have to get any deeper than that in the bullpen. That's how they're going to. That's going to be their identity for to go deep in the playoffs. And if you, you know, if you're old enough to remember 2001, and we all do, even if you're two years old, you remember 2001 around here because it was such a memorable year, 116 wins. The trade deadline, they said, oh hey, look, they they said we need more pitching. And the front office is like, no, 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 we're good. We're good with what we've got. This is great. We're having a blast. We're, you know, selling every every game out. We're in 116 games. What happened when they went to the playoffs? They just didn't match up against some of these teams when you're facing, you know, a Roger Clemens, a Mike Messina, guys like that. What they have now, though, is completely different. So I think when you're looking at them as a playoff team, that's that's what they're, that's basically their foundation. 
Ryan, this team is getting healthy. We're going to see Julio and some other guys back. But, you know, Mitch Hanniger has been back in. He's been performing. How important is he going to be um, down the stretch of this season? Yeah, I mean, massive. And, look, a lot of people, you know, were questioning why it took so long. And this whole thing about Mitch will, you know, you heard stuff saying Mitch will decide when he's ready. But how important will he be to answer that question? Put it this way. When he comes out day one of coming off the IL and he's playing right field, that tells you everything you need to know. And what I mean by that, if he comes off the IL and they're like, oh, you know, we're going to you know, give him a soft landing, he's going to DH, he's going to rest a bunch. But the fact that he's in right field means that he has all the athleticism underneath him. He's not hobbling out there to have that bat. He's still got the power, but he can't run or he can't round a base or whatever. And, Bump, as you know, when it, regardless of anything you do, if you feel 100% in every other avenue of the game, the things you do really well, those good at-bats, and have and add that power and that 39 home runs we saw a couple, uh, last year, it just helps that out. If you go into this half-cut and you're all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm still feeling a bit of swelling or, or you know, irritation with, with my ankle, whatever it may be, doesn't matter. You can still crush a ball in the cage or hit, hit a ball hard or face 98. It's just not the same. So I think seeing that, you know, straight off, right off the bat, uh, no pun intended, with Mitch Hanniger coming in playing right field right away, is huge. And I think that again, when you, we saw it, we look, we saw it that Nestor Cortez, he knocked him out of the game the other day. Just having that, having that in the lineup, man, it just lengthens it. We talk about this all the time. Push guys deep, push guys out of the middle that don't belong in the middle of the lineup. If you're talking about a playoff team, and that's exactly what he does. Say a big day for the Mariners when they return home from this homestand. It's obviously going to be Itro Mariners Hall of Fame weekend, but also it'll be the grand opening for Hatback Bar and Grill in Steelhead's Alley, the new Soto Restaurant and Tap Room. Uh, those are going to be open on August 23rd to the public at 4 p.m. on that day. The community is invited to the grand opening of both of those new venues. They'll have their first chance to try the restaurant's elevated menus. It's going to be a great, great time. Those attending the celebration will have the opportunity to win free hatback, Steelheads Alley, and Mariners branded gear gift certificates and a VIP game day viewing experience for eight people. So you and seven friends or seven family members or seven random people on the street can all have a chance at winning that VIP game day viewing experience. But when we return on Extra Innings, we wrap it up as we always do at 845 with a round of pepper. Looking at some of the biggest headlines in all of baseball, including a scene in the middle of Iowa and a minor leaguer doing something that... I can't recall has ever been done in the history of baseball. We talk that next here on Extra Innings. You're listening to Seattle Sports Station and the Mariners Radio Network. You're listening to Extra Innings inside the Mariners on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports Station. Extra innings here on Seattle Sports Station. Really appreciate you making us part of your Thursday evening. The podcast is always available at SeattleSports.com or the Seattle Sports app. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever it is you want to download this podcast, you can find it. Let's get to some of the biggest headlines in baseball, or at least some of the most fun ones in baseball here on this Thursday evening with a round of pepper. Let's start this segment with the obvious on the night off. The Mariners aren't playing. Not a lot of teams are playing, but there are two teams that are playing, the Cubs and the Reds, and they're doing so from Dyersville, Iowa, home of the Field of Dreams site. Cubs and Reds in that one. Two really bad teams. Uh, both teams 
with, uh, I think, only like 43, 44 wins apiece. But, look, people are watching for the spectacle. They're not watching for bad teams. And last year, I believe the game between the Yankees and White Sox got around 6 million viewers, which is an incredible number for a regular season baseball game on national TV for sure. Um, Now, these two teams, there aren't a huge... There aren't huge draws between them, but there is one big name, and that's Joey Votto. And Joey Votto posted on his Twitter account last night a thread of why playing in this game means so much to him. He says, watching Field of Dreams before the game tomorrow, I thought I would share a few thoughts about what this movie and this trip mean to me. I was raised on this movie. My family had a collection of VHS tapes, and one of them was Field of Dreams. I would watch it often. From eight or nine years old, my father and I would play catch together. In retrospect to me, it was the most important thing we did together. It strengthened our bond. In Field of Dreams, the movie ends with the main character, Ray, and the ghost of his father having a catch. My father passed away 14 years ago, so it is impossible for me to not feel an emotional connection to the moment where Ray asks his father for a catch one more moment together. Getting the opportunity to play a game at the mythical field that sowed the seeds of hope for a Major League Baseball career is a significant moment for me. Couple that with the father-son connection, and this game is an exceptional moment in my life. And Field of Dreams means a lot to a lot of people. Uh, that is one thing that you will know about people who like the movie Field of Dreams or, or, or love the movie Field of Dreams is that it, it means a whole heck of a lot to them. And I think that is what has made the Field of Dreams game such a a big spectacle on the baseball calendar now is is how much that movie means to a lot of people personally not not a not in my top baseball movies i know that's a little bit sacrilege but i can see why it appeals to so many people and just look i mean it means a whole heck of a lot to joey Votto. he is probably the most thankful player uh, to get this opportunity tonight uh, you hope that he's able to do something special for for his family and, and in remembrance of his late father. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Joey Votto, one of the good guys in baseball, and, and so great to hear uh, how much this opportunity means for him because, look, before, what, last season, this wasn't even a, a thought to, to put on the baseball calendar. Play a game in the middle of Iowa? Are you kidding me? How's that going to happen? Now, from the good of this event, helping Joey Votto and his family have a moment like this. There's something a little unnecessary that that is going to go down, and it sounds like they're going to have a hologram of Harry Carey, former Cubs broadcaster, sing the seventh inning stretch tonight, which that's a little hokey to me. Holograms and, and that kind of stuff, is it necessary? Do we really need this? Uh, apparently we do. At least Major League Baseball thinks that we do. I don't know. Did anybody ask for this? I didn't. How about this? Edwin Diaz, his entrance that has gone viral time and time again where he is running out of the bullpen or, or jogging out of the bullpen to those trumpets, those very distinct trumpets. Well, get this. On August 28th, Diaz and the Mets will have live trumpets. The song is by a guy named Timmy Trumpet, which that seems very fitting. He will be live at City Field. And if 
Diaz appears in the game, he will perform his song uh, as Diaz runs out from the bullpen. I will say that that bullpen entrance did originate here in Seattle with the Mariners during, I think it was Diaz's final season in a Mariners uniform. But yeah, I, I, I do love that Diaz is getting this kind of publicity. He's getting what he's deserved, and, and that is a lot, a lot of celebration across Major League Baseball because he's one of the best personalities in the game. Uh, I say this as somebody that covers the Mariners. I miss watching him dearly. He was incredible coming out of the bullpen. Yes, he is going to be an unrestricted free agent next year. Uh, the, the Mariners obviously could bring him back. Who knows what, what that will be like if if the Mariners were to make a, route, a run for Edwin Diaz. But, boy, he is so much fun to watch. And I'm so glad that he is past his struggles that he had when first arriving in New York because, Man, when he is on, he is probably the most electrifying reliever in the game of baseball. Elsewhere in the game, Dusty Baker was in COVID protocol over this past weekend, and he's now back with the Astros organization after his five-day quarantine. He was asked how he spent the time, and look, normally he was able to access the game on, on local cable there in the Houston area, but on Sunday... Houston and Cleveland were the two teams in the Sunday morning Peacock game. That's right. Peacock, the streaming service from NBC, broadcasts a nationally televised game each Sunday morning. I believe it's a 10 a.m. first pitch usually, uh, at least 10 a.m. Pacific time here in Seattle. But Dusty Baker could not figure out for the life of him how to access Peacock. So he just gave up. Got updates on his phone throughout the game, and rather than finding anybody that can help him out, he then just watched a Bob Marley documentary on Netflix. Of course you did, Dusty. Cleveland beat Houston one to nothing that game, so he didn't miss a lot in, in Sunday's game. Uh, but Dusty apparently could not figure out how to access Peacock. That sounds that sounds about right for Dusty Baker. And then finally. We go to minor league baseball for this final one here. St. Louis Cardinals prospect, Springfield Cardinals player Chandler Redman did something that I can't recall has ever been done in any level of baseball. He hit for the home run cycle. What does that mean? He hit a solo home run, a two-run home run, a three-run home run, and a grand slam. And he also did it in four consecutive innings, four consecutive at-bats. In this game, uh, Springfield killed whoever they were playing. I think they had like 21 runs or something in that game. Redmond himself, obviously, with the 10 RBIs in total. Is that the most impressive thing that somebody can do on a baseball field? Maybe throw a perfect game, but four home runs of a different variety. I can't recall a time of that ever happening. Maybe you've seen it happen before. You can text in on the Mac and Jack's text line, but man, oh, man. That guy will never accomplish anything greater on a baseball field than what he did on Wednesday night. That is going to do it for us here on Extra Innings this evening. Really appreciate you joining me. We have got a lot of good baseball in store. Mariners taking on the Texas Rangers this weekend from Arlington. You're not going to want to miss that tomorrow night. 
is going to be game one of that series, Mariners and Rangers from Arlington. That's going to do it for me. I'm Curtis Rogers. Really appreciate you making extra innings a part of your evening right here on Seattle Sports Station and the Mariners Radio Network.